Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The checkered flag ends the race, but not the race talk. Have your say. Ask the experts. Make your point. Post-race tech. The end of the race is only the beginning. Welcome, everybody, to our post-race tech show after an enthralling and highly entertaining final event then of the season for the European Le Mans series. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And it's Johnny Palmer and Graham Goodwin to chat about the various um, incidents throughout the course of the race, of which there were many, but also talking points with a view to the future of this championship and its success, I suppose. Uh, within 2018, uh, we didn't get championship battles all the way down to the wire in one of the classes, but the other two were kept alive. And to have as many as five cars in LMP3 and five cars in GTE still with the chance of a trophy uh, at the end of it, that really is something. But um, let's talk about this event in isolation, first of all. I love coming to Portugal and it's been in the recent years, you know, the kind of classic place to end the season. Again, Portimao put on a really good event for us. Beautiful country, lovely people, fantastic setting for this track. Wasn't really that sure after some of the kind of the importance of doom, the the issues that uh, Portimao had in the aftermath of the financial crash. But what a stunning place to come back racing after almost a decade away Mm. uh, here. Wasn't here last year. I was away on family duty with my son's wedding, but uh, great to be back. Yes, we've had some weather challenges throughout the weekend. Still very windy through this race. But um, look, there's not going to be anybody in that paddock that won't be, you know, ready, willing, able and, you know, and particularly keen to come back and finish the season here next year. Very special year, actually, for the Algarve International Circuit because uh, it was given its FIA official license in November of 2008. So it's going to be celebrating its birthday next month, its 10 year anniversary. So uh, thank you, um, Portimao and Algarve International Circuit for giving us this great uh, event to end the season. And we know for a fact we're coming back here in 2019 Um, to the race itself then. And another win for United Autosports. Um, The Spa result was a strange one because it was red flagged and cars were locked into a position that they might not have been had they not been on a certain pit stop strategy. But that has confirmed to me the progress that Phil Hansen has made, his ability to do these long stints, again, well over half the race for a young man still only 19 years old. We know all about Philippe Albuquerque's speed. Um, but United Autosport have got a great package there and they're not complicating it with a third driver. No, they're not. And I think it's uh, credit to everybody involved in that. Certainly to Phil, massive hard work for him to get to 
where he is in terms of his driving ability. Philippe Albuquerque is just world class. It's as simple as that. And it takes a great deal of the credits for the coaching of Phil through the off-season. Credit to the United Auto Sports team and their partners with Ligier for bringing the uh, JSP217 from a point where it really didn't look the fully developed ticket to making that brave mid-season decision to switch to the mixed tyre, which seems to suit, well, judging by one, two, three here, uh, Michelin's, uh, Michelin uh, shod uh, Ligier seems to suit that package much better. Um, so, yeah, uh, right across the piece, it's a potentially landmark result from where we go here. We're not really, from this point forward, having necessarily to talk about whether or not we need a joker to fix that car. Let's Good not point, let's yeah. not forget either that actually the two Dallaras dominated early on. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the, the issues that uh, cost them their progress in this race were rather self-inflicted by Tereshenko, who uh, it's fairly clear to say that uh, Eduardo Freitas had rather lost his rag with by the end of that. And also, I'm afraid, by after a stunning performance from Felipe Nazva, um, a rather fluffed entry into the pits that cost them time, possibly cost them a little bit of damage. And then from there on in, it rather spiraled out of control. But certainly signs of recovery, too, from Delara, who, if anything, have, I think have struggled more than Ligier have with this new package. I remember being here 12 months ago and, and uh, watching the cars through turn 10, which is, you know, the fast dip as they turn left. I've been calling it a bowl all race long and then up the hill to 11. And they would be massively porpoising oh, yeah. the Delaras. And clearly they've had to address that with the, the stalling of the aero. We haven't had much. Are you saying there is no joker as yet then weaved into the other chassis to kind of equalise that performance with Orica? So the answer is they've had the joker they're allowed. Right. In order to get another joker, and there's certainly been open uh, discussion, I say open discussion, discussion behind the scenes between the chassis manufacturers about that. But in order to get that, they would also have to have Orica's approval and Orica would need to be given another shot at that too. Now, that's a massive problem because, of course, what Orica have in their back pocket is a far more extensive aero development on the P1 chassis, which is P1 car, which is based on the same chassis. They're going to have learned lessons from there. They will be able to productionize that I'm sure far more cheaply than either Ligier or Delara could manage with whatever they could muster. So the reality is at the moment, yeah, we could talk about jokers to equalise this package. I think before we get to that point, though, we're going to be talking about these cars in a couple of years' time being slowed down uh, to accommodate the next generation of top-class prototypes in the WEC, which are being designed to be rather slower, not that much slower, but slower, falling into the performance envelope with the really quick guys in the P2s. I've been very encouraged as the year's gone on that tyre development seems to have fallen more into the hands of the Ligiers and the Delaras than perhaps ours of the Oricas. Um, there were there was battling throughout, but let's just concentrate on the overtakes that were, that were made in LMP2, particularly towards the end of the race, mainly because they were controversial at times. And it looks like the, the 26 car uh, was just to be at fault for at least one of them. Now, I'm thinking it probably was the time when it left the track to overtake that Porsche at turn 11. But there's also some doubt about what happened at turn six as well. We want to see close racing. We want to see it fair as well and within those two white lines. We do. And I think yeah, it's fair to say that um, that the, the title was won by the 26 G-Drive squad before we got here. It's fair to say that sometimes the body language, particularly from Roman Rusinov, tends to rub people up the wrong way. Everybody's got very fresh memories within the organising body of what happened at Le Mans and then winning on the road, but then that being taken away uh, by 
the Seward's decision. It went to court and they lost that. Um, and I do think there may be an element here of they don't want this nonsense. They want a message sent that, look, there's not just the rule book. There's the spirit of the rules here. And there's times when Roman, who wears his heart on his sleeve, very much so, possibly could just do with keeping that emotion in check when he's on camera. And certainly some of the language you'll hear in the background on camera. Uh, I don't think that, that, that plays well with anybody in an organizing body or indeed anywhere else in, in, the, uh, in the paddock. The reality is that is a high, high quality team, a very high performing team, deserve a champions in my mind here. But I think there's a message in terms of some of the ways in which these penalties are being doled out. They might want to just look to themselves about some of the behaviours behind the scenes. We've got some questions coming in and I'll try and get to those just as soon as uh, we've chatted sort of about the basic points of this race. But let's move on to LMP3 because um, this is one of the biggest stories emerging out of this race in isolation. And uh, into Europol competition have been knocking at the door all year long for a race victory. Um, it's a fantastic achievement to get the race win, but almost bigger for me is the fact that they've now finished second in the championship because they've been so consistent across all six races. Well, look, this is a tiny little team. Into Europol is a bakery. It's a commercial bakery. That's what it is. It's not some kind of police state type thing. Flagged from Poland, operated by Kisa Motorsport out of Germany. Massively friendly, family type team, um, you know, with a huge amount of guidance in terms of where they conduct themselves. And the lovely, lovely Cara de Vlaming, um, who's got huge heritage in motorsport. Great drivers. That, uh, just don't have any of those kind of airs and graces that sometimes you'll get with people that arrive with what well, is a high budget operation, even if you're doing it on a budget. Uh, it's a joy to see a little team actually do well. It's a particular joy to hear a different national anthem on an international mm. podium. Yeah. And from a, a, a nation that, you know, is very proud when they do well in motorsport. You, you, you and I have both seen when uh, Robert Kubica is actually racing an international, he comes with a caravan of support. I hope just a fraction of that will go the way of Kubish Mosky and Martin Hipper and this team as they go forward now to a couple of really exciting new programmes. You know, we've, we've seen them move from uh, LMP3 in V2V to now race winning success and near or title contending success, we can certainly say, in the European Le Mans series. No mean feat, beating off the challenge of double title winners, United Autosports, in, in, in doing that. Now we see the move to LMP3 in Asia, New Horizons. Then next we see the moving to LMP2 with plans right now to come back here to the European Le Mans series. They hope to Le Mans and also actively now talking to teams as partners in the United States that could be part of the solution to helping some of those guys actually put together their own programs. Um, we, I posed the question during the during the, our session during the race. Uh, when was that Robert Kubica victory, the only victory he had in Formula One? It was 2008. Yeah. So long time. Yeah. Uh, in Canada. So there's a, a pub quiz answer for you if uh, you're looking for it. Round seven of that year, actually running in the, in the BMW. So that might have been the last time the Polish 
national anthem was played at a big sort of FIA sanctioned type event. I'd love to hear if there's been one in the meantime, because yeah, cool. oh, I hope there has, is the honest answer. But uh, yeah, it's it's just great. And, you know, after we've finished these broadcasts, there's people I actually want to go and see for no other, no journalistic reason, just to go and say, well done. And they're going to be very high up on that list. Massive kudos too, by the way, to Nick Reynolds and all the guys at RLRM Sport out of Bolton. Uh, they've been part of the LMP3 picture from the very start, ran, of course, and won with Janetta in the very first year of the championship. Um, great championship result for them with a gentleman driver they've been bringing through in John Ferrano. They're another team that will move on to LMP2 next year. Alex Capardia, we've said during the broadcast, will be taking sabbatical from here. Um, uh, he's not part of that, but part of the, uh, the Courier Cost Nielsen. Again, another man who's been part of the LMP3 uh, Rubicon throughout. But the other two title winners, Rob Garofal, very much close to the end of his career, he won't mind me saying in the beginning, but comes away with the European title here. But a man to watch in Hub van Utrecht. Mm-hmm. Believe me, watch the, later this week for some news that will be emerging about Jürb and what's going to be happening here at Algarve Circuit in the next couple of days because he is a man in demand. I tell you right now, I know of at least four or five teams that are here that are keen to get his signature on an LMP2 contract. And from the pace that he's shown throughout the season and the maturity he's shown throughout the season, it's pretty clear why. In the interviews that Charlie George was doing with Yop, I think we heard from him earlier on today in the Michelin Le Mans Cup and then uh, in the latter race. It feels like yesterday now because it's been quite a long day. Um, he seems so balanced and so he can refer to the race in such a kind of uh, informed way but doesn't get kind of too het up by the dramas if it goes against them. And likewise, the highs don't... Re- I'm sure they do hit him later on in the day but doesn't let that creep into a, a driver interview. Now, I first met him uh, briefly last year and then sat down and interviewed him um, at uh, the Rolex 24 Hours this year. He was there to talk to people about potential ways forward there and, you know, there's potential for him there in the United States too. But a very mature young man, uh, which I think is a credit to the people he's got around him um, and a credit to, amongst others, his dad, who's kept him grounded. When you've got a young man with that level of talent, who's in that level of demand, who does come with a little bit of a potential budget with him, you know, that can you know, possibly colour the way in which they interact with the rest of the world. Not like that with Jürgen Utrecht. He is a man with talent. He's a man that I think we're going to see as a full professional driver with factory potential in the years to come. Uh, and at the moment, he's not that, that get in the way of the fact that he realises Part of the brand, if you like, is the way you behave. There's other people in World Motorsport have found that to the cost. Getting out the car and, frankly, being an arse is not going to impress people and is going to shorten your career. He's got that message good and proper. Amongst other people, I'm one of the people who's delivered it to him. He didn't need the, the, the message, but I think it's nice to give a bit of reinforcement uh, once in a while. Quite like telling a racing driver, don't be an arse. <laughs> Uh, he's been impressed with me with his, his composure, I think, more so than anything else, and uh, that will bode well for the future. Uh, in GTE, we we did have a battle, no doubt about it. Obviously, car numbers are far fewer than in the other classes, and one of them fell away. Unfortunately, it was the number 80 car after um, well a mistake from Gianluca Giraudi, which resulted in a double contact. 
a moment that he kicked off and then a LMP3 car, the Euro International Machine, came backwards and hit him for a second time. Didn't make Giorgio Mondini very happy at all. That meant one fewer as far as the championship was concerned because the 80 car was in contention. And actually, Proton Competition did a very professional job, not only in winning the race with their non-championship winning car, but getting a consistent third place finish. And that was all that was required for the two roaders who become drivers champions and a bit of a record there because we've never had father and son duo win a championship in the elms that's uh, most of the pluses for proton competition plus of course that Le Mans win for christian reed and co which has been great stuff there is a bit of a shadow hanging over them of course after that exclusion from uh, fuji for what looks like a difficult to explain situation with data coming from the fuel rig so we'll wait and see about that one but look there's a lot to like about proton competition the investment they make in the sports the opportunity they get they give for porsche to give endurance racing uh, practice to an increasing number of junior drivers not just the likes of matteo caroli but uh, julian andlauer uh, marvin deanst uh, we've had uh, a, a number of the other guys through the cars this year um, and they're good-looking cars, and they're fantastic-sounding cars, and they race well. It was a messy GTE race this weekend, I'm afraid. It would have been great to see three or four of those cars juking it out in the same ways we saw in P2 and P3 to the flag. We didn't get that sort of race with a safety car rather breaking that up. Uh, there will be crushing disappointment, I'm sure, for Spirit of Race, and particularly Duncan Cameron, uh, Aaron Scott's. Um, and Matt Griffin, they will be bitterly disappointed that they've not been put themselves in a position where they can definitely say they're going to Le Mans. It's going to be a squeeze to see whether or not they get there at all. JMW will breathe a sigh of relief and actually has squeezed that second place here that also attracts uh, an automatic entry. Uh, it's been a fine battle from them. We wait to see whether or not they come back here to the European Le Mans series or whether Jim McWhorter who's investigating whether a WC plan might be uh, possible, might take that uh, option instead. And then we wait to see who else may step up for the European Le Mans Series in GT next year. I can tell you right now, there'll be news later this week on Delhi Sports Car, one team that will. Interesting. OK. I mean, we'd be all, I mean, I've always said this, six cars is great. Ten would be fabulous, wouldn't it? It would. And I think what the big change that, uh, that, that listeners are going to see uh, into next year is we are, I think, going to see at worst the same number of GT of LMP2 cars that we've got this year. I expect there to be more. I expect it to be grazing 20 at times for the European Le Mans series, which is a fantastic number. To accommodate that, you've got to trim the grid somehow because the European Le Mans series, and Gerard Nouveau says, wants a maximum of around 41 cars here. That means you've got to find some wiggle room somewhere that's likely to be with LMP3 and one or two of the teams that perhaps haven't really yet proven themselves at this kind of level. Maybe you need to serve a little bit more time in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. That might be a stretch for some of the teams because, of course, it's it's definitely three, uh, two drivers rather than possibly three and three income streams and it's less racing, etc., and therefore less of a budget. Let's wait and see how that one pans out. But it could give some of these teams an opportunity to compete uh, in a more meaningful fashion. It could mean that they get the developmental opportunities they like rather than diving straight into the melting pot. There's LMP3 here, which is a dogfight. Um, but we are going to see some, I think, significant changes for the European Le Mans series in 2019. It will not get in the way of the fantastic racing that you and I have been able to talk about through the six races this season. We've had a query actually on Twitter about whether the 
the investigation that was launched into the removal of the the diffuser on the 88 car, say removal, it was big old contact, which meant that the rear end uh, fell off the car, basically. And it ran for several laps. In fact, the best part of a stint without it. There was an investigation. Did we ever have a no further action on that? Uh, I'm not sure we had no further action. I don't expect there to be action is the honest answer for that one. It wasn't an incident of its making. Um, the uh, team clearly fixed it at a point at which they felt they were able to and had to. Yeah. And the other thing to say is this. There weren't bid, uh, you, know, you could argue there's a weight advantage. There was very clearly a massive uh, downforce disadvantage. Um, that we weren't at a point where beyond the immediate incidents and the rest of that lap where bits were still falling off it. Yeah. So there was not a point where the meatball flag was going to be required. You made the point yourself, Johnny, you weren't dealing with half a diffuser um, uh, earlier in the race. So what we had was effectively a, a non-optimal but safe car. And I've zero doubt that they will have had a photographer taking close-up photographs of where the damage was as the car was passing. You could certainly see an awful lot of the rear of the car. Um, but they did well to get that car home. They did particularly well to get that home, car home on the podium. They did brilliantly well to bring that car home to win the championship. Yeah. Uh, one thing that struck me and you through the course of the race was the, the amount of cars locking up into corners. Never, uh, seen anything like it. No, no. Never seen anything like it. Now, you know, it may just be, I mean, we didn't have a massive amount of dry running here this weekend. Yeah. That said, most of the most of the major teams did a fair amount of testing earlier in the week. So I'd be interested to hear what they've all got to say about that, whether or not that's something to do with the way the brake temperatures were falling off. It, it is really cold here this weekend. I mean, I think as we came to the grid, it was 10 degrees air temperature. And I know, you know, I'm sitting here now in uh, you know, a T-shirt and it was very chilly coming across the booth here from the... Uh, for the media centre. So it may be something to do with the temperature of the track, the cars, the the tyres, the, the brakes. Who knows? I'd be interested to hear what it was, but I've never seen anything quite like that. It was literally every single lap and it was yeah. happening repeatedly with all sorts of cars going into the same corners. So something was going on there. Yeah, and, and with drivers of, of differing quality as well and ones that you really wouldn't expect to be locking Jean up. And Jean-Luc Verne did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jean-Luc Verne is a driver of absolutely international top quality. And, you know, we're not talking here about just a dab on the brakes and a bit of a puff of smoke. We're talking Batman levels of, you know, of, of smokescreen being flung up to the point where you expected there to be a major incident, even a car on fire at times. But you quite what you said during the broadcast was bang on. You got to the point where it had happened so often that you were ignoring it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely right. I was just not paying attention to it on screen because I thought, well, that's happened 20 times already. Um, Daniel Harvey Dyer has uh, asked us a quick question on Facebook, I think. Why didn't the 55 get a penalty for hitting the Porsche under yellows? Was was that the incident with the 88? It was coming into a yellow flag period and we, we were hearing. I think I think uh, I remember saying it on air. And then thinking again and thinking, hang on a minute, are they hearing and seeing what we're seeing in the same time span that we're hearing and seeing it? Because remember at times, Danny, that, that's, um, that there are some delays in what you see and hear on the screen. It looked to me as if they were being called into a yellow flag, a full course yellow period. It may be that some, uh, some were anticipating it earlier than others. We've seen problems caused by, uh, caused by that before now. I can only say this. I have seen the kits that they have available to them in the stewards' room and at race control. If that was investigated, they will have known the facts. I don't think we, uh, uh, we did. I was surprised there was no sanction. Uh, 
Mm. I was surprised there was no sanction, but there may well have been another extenuating circumstance. It could, for instance, have been actually a prior reaction from the other car. Could it have been that the Porsche was at fault by braking too hard too soon? Uh, I don't know. That's a supposition. It's a possibility. But I do know that I do trust this race control team. Absolutely. Yes. And I would start. Um, just a few more minutes to go. Um, right to another raise an interesting point, which I've now subsequently lost. Um, he says, how indicative of the uh, precision of rule implementation, implementation is it that a, that a normally or nominally pro-am class, i.e. LMP2, has a separate prize for best pro-am pairing, which in turn did not go to the lineup with the best actual am. Long-winded question, but 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 pro, I mean, LMP2 is pro-am as in it incorporates silver and sometimes bronze drivers. So why the need for a pro-am award within that? I think it's a fair question. I think, but the but the reality is we are where we are. The the level of competition here is extraordinarily high. If you look at the names of the drivers involved in this competition, people like Felipe Albuquerque, people like Jean-Eric Venn, you know, people like Felipe Nazareth. You know, these are world-class international drivers. If you want to kind of step up with an effort that you want to do in your own particular way, like something like high-class racing and uh, Dennis and Anders there, where they've got no particular interest in racing in the European Le Mans series and paying the kind of wages that those guys would actually attract, then you've got to find some way of actually incentivizing that competition. It's exactly, for instance, what's going to happen in Asia this year in the Asia Le Mans series with an LMP2 am class which is attracting for by the way a uh, auto entry for the Le Mans 24 hours for the winner of that competition i think it's perfectly sensible for me it's not a million miles different than what happened in the early years of the uh, fi world endurance championship where it became clear that we very quickly were seeing this this rapid development in the hybrid cars that very quickly emerged to be a problem for the lmp1 privateer teams and we move from a position where they had not a hope in hex short of a meteorite strike on the leading four cars of ever getting a podium to the point where they got recognition for their achievement within their own subclass, both with an appearance at a press conference and an appearance on the podium. That's basically a little bit of activation for them for the investment. I see no reason at all why these guys shouldn't get the same kind of level of recognition, privilege and respect out of what is, let's face it, something where the spirit of the sport is mentioned so, so many times. That's just about it for post-race tech, but there are some exciting stories, I think, just around the corner regarding the 2019 season, aren't there? And lots and lots. You are going to be seeing announcements of new cars, new teams, new efforts. Some will come this week, some will be coming in weeks to come, some will be coming out of Shanghai. The... Some new pictures and teams, cars and regulations. That's why we call it daily sports, can't we? <laughs> Thank you very much, Graham Goodwin, as always, for your company all season. It's 168 days till we're next ELMS racing then. That's the 14th of April for the four hours of Le Castellet Ricard with a calendar announced last month, of course. We're going to Spain in 2019 as well. We deserve the winter off, though, I would say. Plenty more racing coming here on the RSL Network, but from Graham... Johnny Palmer. Bye.
This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.